Hello and thank you for downloading this episode of Discussing Documentaries with myself Matt Wills and Rick Wharton. Oh, excuse me. Um, today, oh, <laughs> we did that. Peter, Bischoffy, <laughs> Peter, butter eating motherfucker. All right, we just had a whole chat about how this is going pro, and then there's you burping and wiping your stomach down in your fucking intro. I haven't eaten an apple in ages. That was a oh, that was good though. Biscoffy, if you haven't had that stuff, it's just superb. Um, right, today we are talking about Man on Wire from the year two thousand and eight. The provider initially was YouTube, but we'll get into that in a second. The director, did you notice the director, Rick? I didn't, no. Okay, the director is James Marsh. Does that help? Is that the Scientologist dude? No, close though. Discussing Documentaries, episode 22, Project Nim. Ah, right. He's that guy. And he also did... um, the uh, the theory of everything, the film about Stephen Hawkins that won a Oscar. Interesting fact that is one of our least listened to podcasts. Project Nim. Yeah. Oh wow, really? Yeah. You know why I say the number, don't you? I thought about this from yesterday. So when I go episode twenty two, Project Nim, it's because on iTunes, in lieu of jokes, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier to rely on the spreadsheet. Yeah. Um. You're saving the good stuff of the awards to last. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt, you go on. Only an IT person would appreciate this. I've named them in number format so that when a new listener comes in, they can see what order, if they wish to, they should listen to them in. It's incredibly important. And again, from when you're talking about Amazon Alexa, you can go play episode 22, please, Alexa, and she will do it. Okay. Because the episode is called Episode i got to be honest, Project I would Nim. love to take the piss out of that level of organisation, Matt, but this would just be me watching a documentary, then texting a mate, and that would be it, if it wasn't for you. Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> this would be you back in May, how your life was before just this. Me, just me um, putting on Facebook, has anyone else seen making a murderer? <laughs> um, this documentary... Uh, this documentary was actually recommended to me years ago by one of my oldest mates, Liam, and he loved it. And I think that's the only time I've spoke to anyone apart from you about a documentary until I started doing this podcast. I, I didn't think anyone watched documentaries. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they win Oscars and stuff. So listen to the accolades on this one. 46 wins and 13 nominations. Um and it doesn't get better than this, right? It won the Oscar for Best Documentary featuring James Marsh and uh, Simon Chin. So congratulations, gentlemen. As well as it won a proper award because it it won a British BAFTA. It won the Alexander Corder Award for Best British Film at the BAFTAs. Um, and it earned $5,258,569. That ain't bad, man, because the budget on this one was a, a million. So... Um, that's a cool four and a half million. I don't effort. know how they spent a million pounds on that. Um, I do. It was to it was to get his mates in because his mates were like, "I'm not getting involved in this documentary. You're going to make me look an idiot." No, we'll give you different names. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, and here's the blurb, and we'll get into it. 
A look at tightrope walker Philip Petit's daring but illegal high-wire routine performed between New York City's World Trade Center's Twin Towers in 1974. It's what some would consider the artistic crime of the century. And it's based on the book To Reach the Clouds by Philippe Petit. It's also had a movie made of it with Gordon Joseph Lovett called The Walk, which is Super. Oh, it's gonna. If they made a movie, they needed to get the guy who played Gangster Number One, uh, Vision from Marvel. Oh yeah, the English he looks fella. So yeah, yeah, yeah. much um, like him as a younger man. He he could have been the spit of. Yeah, him. good shout. Good shout. Gangster Number One, very underrated gangster film. Yeah, terrible ending though. Really? Like like yeah. any British gangster movie. Terrible. It's ending. just them screaming yeah. at the top of a building. But there's always a, like the build up in a British gangster movie is great, and then the end's just like, oh for fucking yeah. bloody fucks, and then it's a, and then it's over. That torture scene, I think that's still in my head. It was superb. Fre- it was just incredibly well Freddy done. Freddie Mays. That was <laughs> oh, well. That was arseled on his tie pin, drunk at the size <laughs> of his sock. Yeah, yeah, I remember gangster number one. Wow, your recall is incredible. It is um, remarkable compared to the shit that I don't remember to do. Yes, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the um, this, I had a little journey with myself to kind of rationale how much I enjoyed this one. Now, this is going to be a classic discussing documentaries. Uh, Rick Wharton, wrong turn away from the documentary, but have I ever told you <laughs> about my very first stand-up gig? If I have, I apologize, but I'll make it short. No, go on. So always wanted to do stand-up, did it on a whim, went through, and I didn't tell my brother I was getting up because he said I didn't have the balls to get up. Yes, yeah, yeah, go on. I love this story. I didn't prepare a whole heap of material. I was just arrogant enough to think it would go all right. A bit like you do for the podcast. I'm with you. Go on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're right. I didn't look up the awards of this one. Sorry, Matthew. (laughs) Now... You slacked there my IT skills, Rick. I can't let that stand. You saw, you saw me being genuine for a second and you went for the neck. But let me tell you, when you when you come at the king, sir, you best not miss. So <laughs> I, I get there and it was a really good night. Like it's a dog and parrot, long live comedy in Newcastle. Um, alternative comedy, like fucking excellent comics on there at times. But before I went on was a character act who was doing... Um, now... I will propose this that if it doesn't go well for a character act, it's a very long night because Shit, you don't yeah. get you oh, don't yeah. get on board of their premise. They can't then break away and go. And his character was I'm an X Factor judge, and his ten minutes was a one sided phone call. Ten minutes, a, oh. a one sided phone call to Simon Cowell, right? And this is this is an open mic night like myself. They might have even had the first time. But it just, it brought the night, it brought the expectations of the night down to such a level that my first couple of lines got huge laughs. Now. (laughs) Hang on, hang on. So you're saying because the guy was so shit, it made you look better than you were. Yes. And we just watched Dog Groomers last. We did yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Great documentary. The impact that has had on Man on a Wire for me. Is the same that <laughs> hey, you're a funny guy. I've said that before. 
And again, I hope that guy's doing well. Uh, but as a shitty kid, I always just thought, oh, he's bad. And then I, the next couple of nights, I died on my ass. So it's just like, oh, this happens to everyone. But I, yeah, this is this is my point. So Doug Groom has brought me right back down. So I think we're releasing this the same week of Doug Groom as out of spite because I don't want to lose followers. <laughs> yeah, it depends. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll work that out. Um, so on this one, I helped fund it because it was paid for by the UK National Lottery and the BBC. So uh, well done, me, again. Um, and Philippe Petit, he's this. He's French. I'm oh, sorry, I'm going to get right into it. Let, let me stop there. Rick, lead us in. What? What do you mean? Well, just start. You have to start. I know we've started, but just start. Well, we had the 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 OCD um, IT guy who got had a bit of a mistake finding it. <laughs> he had his problems. I cannot tell you how angry I was over this. Right. So I started watching it on, first of all, I'm calling you a git because I'm like, what'd you choose this one for? This has been on Amazon and Netflix and now for the last few years. Now we want to watch it. It's gone. So I'm pissed off, right? And then I find it on YouTube and I'm like, fuck you, Wharton. I'm not going to fall into this. I'm going to watch it. Start watching it on YouTube and a lot of it's spoken in French. Mm. Right. So his girlfriend, for instance, she doesn't speak English, right? She only speaks French. And I got so pissed off with not knowing what she was saying. I eventually went to Apple and then I bought it. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for the Kofi money and for the Patreon. You helped fund that. And then I speak to you and you're like, no, it is on Now TV. You just can't find it on the search function. I, can, I, I took photos and I'm writing currently a really angry email towards Now TV stroke Sky. That's just disgracefully bad planning on an app part. You, that won't stand. Sorry, that's not on. I was proper pissed off. It did ruin my morning. I was really angry. <laughs> you, you were seething because I was just like, no, it's 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 definitely definitely on Sky because I had to uh, I, I had to skip over it to click on well groomed. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, I I was pr- proper proper angry. Anyway, that aside. Um, yeah, what a great documentary. You can see why it won an Oscar, right? Basically. Uh, Annie Alex is her is the girlfriend's name there. Oh, look at you. All right. Uh, it is Annie Alex, yeah. When Annie Alex speaks, so she describes when so Philippe is a tightrope walker and he said um like one of his first big stunts was he broke into the uh, cathedral at Notre Dame and the two towers and he put a wire across there. And uh, you're watching him, and it is incredible, right? It is like a man walking in the air. He's doing, like, the snowman, walking in the air, and it looks like that. And then she, Annie Alex, says, and I'm paraphrasing, but I've almost got this word for word. So I walked into the cathedral while he was doing this, and I walked up to these people who were kneeling down and praying, and I said, there's a guy wire walking up there. But when she said it in French... That was poetry. <laughs> just the way it just... Did you not think when she spoke and the, the words were just... It was just the most boring statement going. But when she said it, you're like, oh my God, that just sounds beautiful. What did she say? And then when I got the translation on the, the paid for copy, I was like, oh, was that... There's a bloke up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when she said it in French, it sounds so cool. And even he does, doesn't he? He sounds really cool because he's French. Well, Mr. Man on a fucking piece of string up there. like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, right, she could sound like that because to us, it's a French accent. 
But if in France, for instance, she might be from the northeast of France and she might have a YI man accent. Yeah, I've always Or a Cockney accent. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know, do we? To us, it's just they all sound the same. It's one of the reasons, like, when we were looking to move back home, I know which areas put a fear of God into me. So my girlfriend be like, what about such and such? I'm like, oh, Jesus, not there. Someone going... (laughs) And, and I, what, because of the snob value in you? Of, I'm not not the snob there, value, but there. like if I know of a story of someone getting tasered in the face down by the shops there, you're like, ah, I don't want my kids growing up there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, no, I, and this is the enough. one part yeah. of the country I know that. Basically, you don't know where the Pelton Fell of fucking London is until you've lived there. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, I'd move back to where I'm from in an instant, but uh, unfortunately... It's East London, and I've, I'm one of the people who've been priced out of the market. That's just because you're desperate to be in a tiny house. <laughs> you know the beauty of a tiny house, don't you? No one can come live with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when she was speaking, I, I mean, I studied French at school, but no one was asking for a kilo of plums, so I didn't have a clue what she was saying. So in essence, right, this guy's a, wire, a high wire walker and... Yeah, he likes doing stunts because he's he's got a bit of an ego, isn't he? Fair play to him. And his stunt is he's going to walk between the World Trade Centers in New York. And then I made... That's in essence, that's I it. I made a note. You think dog groomers were simple? I know, I know. But this at least has some stakes. So, like, for me, if I was directing it, I would have kept him till the end to tell his bit. And also because he doesn't shut the fuck up. Um, this guy... Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the million quid... That you wonder where the budget went on. It was the videotape for him talking because that went on for 40, 50 I, days. I mentioned this in Sugar Searching for Sugar Man when they were like, it was the 80s and there was a mist coming off the ocean. <laughs> and, uh, and then you saw almost like this, the stars was almost like Jesus blinking as as you look down and you're like, just tell us what you fucking sang. And <laughs> and if you think that's bad, wait until you see Philippe because Philippe is just like, and I was there and I had a toothic, a toothic and I went into the dentist and I see this magazine and it was a building that was not even built yet. It was not even... So I pulled the paper out and I leave the dentist because I don't want to get caught. To, and like, honestly, just the amount... He, is, he walked across a wire between the two towers. He doesn't need to embellish anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. We don't need to know that you're a petty theft of magazine articles from a dentist in Paris. It's all right. I, I adored him. Absolutely adored him. His accent, uh, the way he rolled, in the, we'll get to that later, but the way he rolled on grass. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the, the footage of the Twin Towers being built, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I've... I found that quite sad. I got quite poignant over that, just because of in our lifetime, that's one of the that's one of the biggest disasters to happen. Well, it right? does add a different element to it, doesn't it? Because when you're hearing yeah. about them, because they have to go, they stake out the twin towers as if they're spies. Yeah, they go, they sneak around, they make fake IDs and get in relatively easily. Like there is a whole bunch of different things where, like, with the context of what happened, you know, nine eleven, obviously. It's um yeah. It's I, I used to be a bellboy in a hotel. I've mentioned that quite a few times, and it was on Grosvenor Square. Now, what was also on Grosvenor Square was the American Embassy, 
And I did two days on and two days off. And the kid who covered my two days off, he basically got fired because some Saudi prince rocked up one day in the coolest looking sports car. This 17-year-old kid who'd only just started driving lessons went, I'll park that for you, (laughs) mister. (laughs) Jumps in the Lambo. I think it was a Lamborghini. Starts driving around the block, which is Grosvenor Square, on about his third lap. Loads of um, American police jump out, guns and that. Yeah, and he gets arrested because they think he's going to do something dodgy to the American embassy. So, And that was only in, what, 87? So how these people got away with this in 74, that's only, you know, 10-ish years later. It's not a political bill. It was a business centre, Jeremy. You know I mean? There's millions of people well, coming yeah, and I, going. I guess so, yeah. Terrorism wasn't didn't really a, in their mind. Terrorism didn't exist in America, did it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it um, did. It just wasn't on that scale. Terrorism's, you know, you, you look at, like, you know, Hitler burning down the, the putch hall or whatever the fuck it was to... Um, take, take oh, When he burned down the parliament. Yeah, yeah burned yeah. down the parliament as a false yeah. flag to... Thingy. Yes. So that yeah, yeah. so there's always been forms of terrorism. Guy Fawkes surely would have con- constituted as terrorism. I, I've always said that. Yet we have a night celebrating him. That seems a no. We, we we've commercialised him. I don't think we celebrate him. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, penny for the guy. When's the last time you dealt with that? Yeah, well, a penny buys you nothing now, does it? It's uh... Patreon for the guy, sir. Patreon <laughs> for the guy. <laughs> um, now. I, I don't know how about how you felt watching this documentary, but for me, it was genuine agony. So just because I'm an ex-skydiver, the idea of his him falling is terrifying to me. Yeah. And just watching it, my, my anxiety levels went up and my stomach, every time I saw him on the wire, my stomach was turning over. I, and I genuinely had a real hard time watching it. I also had seven real strong cups of coffee. So... Like by the time he does get to New York, I am freaking out. Yeah, cause he, and when they're bouncing the wire to test it, and he's on it, going, "Yeah, bounce the wire. Let's see how clever I am." Because and he's only what four foot off the ground, and I'm like, "Fucking hell, that's terrifying." Yeah, because they it starts with what he's going to do, then goes through his backstory of him um, going. He does like Sydney, does a high wire across. They've got the same bridge as the as Newcastle yeah. goes across the Tyne Bridge. Then when they pull him off there, he pick. He pickpockets <laughs> the policeman's watch. I've never noticed that before. What, the same bridge? They're the same bridge. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Google it. We built a Sydney Opera House in Gateshead. I say a we. I mean... The... Yeah, not you. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, but, but um, yeah, there's a Sydney Opera House in Gateshead now called The Sage. Now, here's something they didn't kind of count for. No one in Gateshead gives a fuck about opera. <laughs> So now they have this like huge purpose-built musical for opera, exactly like the Sydney one. And uh, all they do, I think they do a panto in it at Christmas, and they have <laughs> they they do the X Factor auditions once a year in there. <laughs> the Sage. I'm not. I'm not making that up. We're gonna get angry letters now from the Sage. We also do this. We've got a full program of arts. We do stand-up comedy. Not that you two are ever going to know. There is a gig there. That's why I didn't bring that up and talk shit about it. And no, I have not been asked to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Philippe Petit says, if I die, what a beautiful death to die exercising your passion. I fell in love with him when he said that. It was 
I, I love this man. Absolutely loved him. There was a guy who reminded me a lot of you, and I didn't catch his name. He's the white-haired guy who had the smile. He was helping them out. He wasn't the French friend. He was like on the American side. Good teeth. Good teeth, yeah. It was the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, Jim Moore. Jim Moore. You, Jim Moore had a bit yeah, of Matt yeah. Wills about him. If you, if you ever came up to Matt Wills with an idea, Jim Moore's responses are what you get. Go, yeah, I'll help you go and set all that up. That sounds like a, sounds yeah. like a beautiful we dream. And you're just like, what? <laughs> why are you going to New York for, you fucking idiot? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to help a man die. Um, that Say what you said again about when he came down from the uh, Sydney Harbour Bridge. Because that's just beautiful. Yeah, so he, he comes down and the, they do a good like little directorial thing of every time he's coming down or something, it zooms in on where the police are about to arrest him. And yeah, because the video footage of him is very good and the quality of it. Bear in mind, this was the early 70s. It's really, really good footage. It's good enough. So you've seen it? lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, so he comes off the bridge. And as the police grab him, he uh, he pickpockets the fucking <laughs> policeman's watch, which <laughs> how cocky is that? I am an avant-garde. Be- I am <laughs> feeling to us. That that is a ballsy move. It's um, so funny because he becomes obsessed with the two towers and how to do it. So, like I say, he's, he yes, goes, yeah. it jumps in and out between this story. And uh, it goes, I start to make drawings. And the drawings that he has of how he's going to do it, it's basically two <laughs> rectangles as the towers. <laughs> and he draws a line across it. <laughs> and then puts a stick man on it. He's like, genius, it is done. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the Matt Wills equivalent going, no, we need a proper plan here. We're going to need some equipment. No, it's all right. Because he's French. They're like, yeah, all right. He just sounds so cool about it. Um, he, they get an inside man at the World Trade Center who just looks like the coolest New York cat he, you could ever he meet. He looks like Satan because he comes out and sees him. He's, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. 70s Satan. Yeah, he, he's Satan the TV show, not the movie. Yes, yes. So um, he's outside the World Trade Center and he says, there's someone that shouldn't be there. And he walked out and he recognized Philippe from Juggling in Paris. Yeah. Which... On terms of going up... That's it. It, from the street, that is. He recognises him from the street. That's like someone recognising you from that open mic gig. Yeah. Hey, were you... Uh, you you followed the uh, the character act, right? Of the <laughs> Britain's Got Talent guy. That was me. Great. Oh, do you want to break into this building with me? There was a wonderful moment with a mate. Uh, I would I would say who because he he has to eventually tell this on stage. But we had a beautiful moment outside a train station. We went up. We did a, a really nice gig for his show. He absolutely stormed it. Right, just and I. It was one of those times I was like, "Fuck, this guy's going to be amazing." And it was in his hometown. And then the next day, he's walking us to the train station, and we're outside having a cigarette before we get on the train. And he'd be winding us up the whole way there as well, because he's a mate, you know what I mean? We'll piss each other off the whole time, niggling. And so, and this fella goes, oh, my God, you are here. And he turns around and goes, oh, thanks for you there last night. And he's behind one of those signs of saying, you are here for the tourist destination. <laughs> <laughs> Ego check complete. <laughs> I have never been happier in my entire fucking life. <laughs> I think I laughed for a four-hour trip because we both 
<laughs> we both thought they meant him because of like just literally the the adulation and the way people were coming up to him after the gig the night before. And it was right, the train station was next to the gig. Ah, oh, it was fucking magnificent. You are uh, here. And he's just like, oh, man, I, oh. <laughs> Damn it. Um, so Philippe, when Philippe talks, he paints the loveliest pictures with his words. Just, just um, quickly, because we he, started talking about the dude who looks like Satan. Um, I forget his name. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, his name was Barry. So Barry comes out. Although, but they changed all their names. So his name was Barry, also known as John. That's because they put Which, um, fake name tags on all their passes. That's the names they used. Oh. It wasn't just a jokey thing for the documentary. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm glad you're here because that was bothering me. Yeah. No, that's why they did that. Um, And he worked for the World Trade Center, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was based on... Yeah, he was one of the first occupants. Yeah, yeah. He was quite a highfalutin manager. But he still had the... um. He stuck with the goatee over the years. Yeah, he had the goatee, but not just the goatee. On the moustache, he had the... Mr. Pringles twizzles. Is it called a handlebar? Yeah, the, the handlebar, yeah, right? The yeah, yeah, the handlebar stuff. moustache. Yeah, yeah. And just the idea... Anyone who's not in Britain has no idea what we're talking The Monopoly guy moustache. Yeah. There you go. And he's stuck with that, that, that look throughout the fucking test of time. But the idea that you yeah. get to work there, you go, you want to do what? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll help you do that. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Barry gets shit done. That's what Barry does. Um, so in January 1974, Philippe climbs onto the roof of his house and screams, I'm coming to America. Right, he also he he gets in touch with them and he pr- makes out he's a fake journalist from France with the credentials in order to get all the information on the World Trade Center. So he gets to go up and take photographs of it and he gets to go and scope it out, basically. The man he cons is called Guy Tozzinelli. He's the president of the World Trade Center Association. He sounds like a mafia boss, right? Yeah. When he's talking, he's like, yeah, they conned me. I didn't think to ask for ID. Like, oh, God. You'd... If if they would have seen the, the films that we've seen in the last 20 years about the mafia, they wouldn't have screwed with you at all, Mr. Tozzinelli. Um, and there's a lot of... Whenever I hear one of two documentaries mentioned... The other one's not too far away from being mentioned in the conversation, which is Man on a Wire in Grizzly Man. Well, funny you should say that, because I've got a point on this one. That's amazing that you should bring that up, and it was just—it's just amazing for me and you. I don't think anyone else is gonna gonna find this interesting. Because um, Philippe was actually supposed to play the lead role in Cheese. Um. <laughs> Bear with me, mate, because this is an amazing. That's cool. This is like university challenge when they go uh, off to Oxford, and then there's sixty seconds of rustling, and they go pass. <laughs> so you mentioned the grizzly man, right? Mm-hmm. Now, how different would this film would have been if he would have actually died? So for a start, it wouldn't have won the Oscar for the best film that year. Do you know what would have won the Oscar? for best film that year, it was Encounters at the End of the World, which is all about uh, the studying of Antarctica. And that was made and directed by a friend of the show, Werner Herzog. All right. 
Yeah, from episode one, discussing documentaries, Grizzly Man. Well. And other stuff, and the Tom Cruise movie, for, which pisses off my German friends, no end. For me, the difference is two simple things. It would have been exactly the same as Grizzly Man if he'd convinced a girlfriend to go out with him and she fell off. Like the start of Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. Like the start of Cliffhanger, yep. And um, there is a fundamental difference between Philippe and Timothy Treadwell. And that is Philippe is passionate about his hobby. Timothy Treadwell was passionate on people how people perceived him doing his hobby. Very deep, yeah. Yeah, there, right. there was differences and there's an yes. authenticity to it for how irritating fucking Philippe is bouncing around like a rodeo clown. Here's the yeah. thing, right? There comes to a point just before he gans out and there's a there's a cool story and stuff like that when they're going up into the tower to get into. But there's a point where my girlfriend came downstairs and she's um, going to chill out and watch it, but she's also in a meeting with work. So she's got her headphones right. in and my Xbox controllers died of battery. And the dog's on us, so I don't want to get up and wake the dog up and have to deal with that. So she went, do you mind if I mute it? And he's going, blah, blah. And he's flicking his hands up like the spaghetti guy from the Muppets right. and being like yes. gesticulating all over the place. The, the the Swedish cook or the Swedish chef or Danish yeah, yeah. chef or whatever it is. And she's like, uh, do you need a reminder? What did you miss? I was like, eh, don't worry. He's probably talking about how- <laughs> He's probably talking about how he chose that pair of socks that day. And I woke up in the morning and I saw the mint green and I thought the mint green is a perfect adaptation of the American dream within my own dream that I found all my life that was built for me, the stage. And I was just like, nah, we'll just wait until he walks out of the fucking wire. We'll <laughs> He'll get to his point eventually. How long was this documentary? It's like, is it a 90 minute documentary? Hour and a half, hour, 90 minutes. Okay. It goes pretty quick, right? I didn't. It does go uh, quick and they, they make yeah. it kind of fun because they make the World Trade Center yes. thing. Very Ocean's Eleven esque on how they're building it and putting Very it together. Very much, yeah, which yeah. again, with the hindsight and the context of what happened in the World Trade Center, makes it a little bit eerie. But then they come to something that trigger me a bit. It goes, the team was completely unreliable, and I'm like, I'm a guy who just I have an unreliable look about me. Do you know what I mean? I've I've been branded, you know, the squeaky wheel once or twice. <laughs> That's uh, that's because you're the squeaky wheel. As talented as you are, you are the squeaky wheel. <laughs> no, I tell you what it is. You can't always match fucking Philippe's enthusiasm. All right, I'm sorry. That's exhausting. You, no, you, you listen. As Do you a, not think the gods are watching me? Yeah, because I'm a Philippe, right? I'm a yeah. This is great, isn't it? And you're like, look, just let's let's bring look, it back down to look, a human we, being level. Can we figure out where we're gonna hook it onto? That's all I want to talk about. <laughs> Not the majesty of the sunshine while you're up there. <laughs> what are you gonna hook it onto? I think you need that in I think you need that. You need a realist like you. It's like, hang on, slow down. What are we doing? No, that's a waste of time. And then you need idiots like me to go, no, no, come on, let's fucking because if Philip wasn't insane about it, which he was, it would have never have happened. And we'd probably be doing another dog documentary right yeah. about now. But I've been like, I've been in jobs, say a new manager comes in and they'll go, right, we're not too happy with the scores. And almost like a military parade when you know the drill sergeant walks down the line. And then they see me with my unironed shirt on and tabs hanging out my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll be like, I have located the sacrificial lamb. <laughs> <laughs> 
What you should do is you should make yourself look American and just put some pens in your pocket like they did in the back of the van when they were sneaking in. I needed oh. to look American, so I put some pens in my pocket. There was one, there was like this this manager's second day at um, a phone shop I worked at. And she went, oh my God, Rick, you sold seven phones yesterday. What did you do? So I can put in the WhatsApp group with this, like, you know, how, how you shift in all these phones. I went, oh, um, seven people wanted to buy phones. <laughs> and I swear it's I lasted like a, a month, a month later. I was, that was like a full on <laughs> turf one revolution in that store. And did she win? Well, I left an upper decker and refused to give the keys back. I then threatened them to take them to a tribunal and got my holiday paid. <laughs> there, there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened. Where Is that I, a win? I wasn't the entirely the arsehole on that one, all right? <laughs> I wasn't entirely. What I like about that is you accept on the others, yeah, I was the arsehole normally. But on that one, I've got grounds. I'm all right. Um, well, when I, because the temporary jobs, and again, I know there's some hardworking people that'll be listening to this go, what a fucking cock. Like, if I go, when I've had to do a job in a bookies, it's because one of my arsehole friends has got engaged and I have to afford to go on a stag do. The rest of the stuff kind of ticks over with the comedy and things like that. But then when there's a, a a thing that I need to save up for, that's when I need to go into the same entry-level style job I would when I was 17. So when I go into these jobs, I have my written notice in my pocket, like a gun to draw at any time. <laughs> like I'm Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shop your choice. I just have a betting slip with Rick won't be here in two weeks. There we go, two to one. <laughs> well, because they said they, they thought the team was unreliable and the... We're not yeah, the guy stoned. Character. Yeah, the guy rocks up the night before, stoned off his box. And when they asked him about it, was his name was Donald, aka David. Um, and he went, "Was I stoned when I turned up in the meeting bef- uh, the night before? Well, I was stoned for thirty-five years. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't smoke weed. So, yeah, probably. He was so cocky about it. You're like, oh man, you." And then, then we had to endure him playing the piano and singing a song. Yeah, there was there was a weird one. But here's the thing: when you fucking get a musician to try and get you to, you know, sneak into a building, that's what you're gonna get. Who else yeah. is hanging out with Philippe other than fucking druggies? Do you know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> What's this geezer though? Walks on wires or something? I don't know. He's got the good weed. That's all the we know. Matt Will's good. He's lovely. Him. Sure, he killed six people. I know, but the way he tells the story. <laughs> And he carries a top hat with him. What's not to love about this guy? Who Who's hanging out for the guy on the unicycle? Yeah, that'll be Matt. Matt will be with him. <laughs> so, Rick, come and meet my new friend. He's got two unicycles. No, it's just a bike taped together. Um, <laughs> basically, there's not much going on in this documentary if you think well, this about is it. Where, right? This but, is where it kind of builds, but I think... But they, they built the tension so well. How old's this documentary, by the way? Was it 96? 2008. 2008. So 2008, it came out. Um, and again, this documentary wouldn't have been made if it wasn't for terrorism. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, I'm not I'm not pro-terrorism here. I'm just saying. Oh, that's good. I thought we were going to lose our sponsors for a second, Matt. <laughs> we just done the fucking dissident with me saying, well, if they buy Newcastle, they buy Newcastle. Like, can I just say 9-11 was bad? And then can we move on, please? All right. I've been, I've read an article about woke culture. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But apparently the I can lose my job. The moved on. But um, um, so in my mind... This was one of the first amazing documentaries that I was told about 
There's like before a couple. Yes. Since then, there has been true crime ones and things like the Jinx. And there's other ones that have kind of eclipsed it when someone says, have you seen this? It's now third or fourth, fifth down the line. In, yeah. in this, whenever someone mentions them to me. And I think we have been almost spoiled by the quality of footage that you will get in a documentary now. Yes. Because with this one, it's literally this Fruit Loop bouncing around and telling you what he's going to do. He's already done it, but I'm going to make you listen to a 90-minute Edinburgh show about how yeah. I got up the stairs. And he um, paints it well. He does a great pick. He, he does a great job of that. So the day of it comes, they sneak in. They're like hidden in crates or something like that as they go in, or they've got crates with the um, all the equipment. Yeah, and they just walk in. But, I mean, a few months beforehand, when he was casing the joint out he stepped on a nail that went through his foot and he said that was the best thing that happened to him because then he was on crutches and the security people would wave him through and would help him get to wherever he wanted to go because he was on crutches oh, that's good to know for terrorism job number two let's make a note of that well, that's a bit like buffalo bill and silence of the lambs you'd come along with the fucking arm cast on and women would help them put stuff into the yeah. car and then you yeah, yeah. dunk them on the head which I don't think uh, Philippe was um, beyond doing. <laughs> <laughs> Will you the, come into my vehicle? And <laughs> but the the footage they have from the seventies, they must have had a really good camera, right? Because he was it's from the news. He was known of basically. So when he was, they must have been making a film about it when they were practicing for it. Yeah, yeah, they had that little. camera. So when thing. he's practicing in his. When he's practicing in his place in France, like and when he, so when they, let's just talk about this quickly. So obviously it was directed by James Marsh who did Project Nim, and they cut to a scene where Philippe goes running when they do the test of the bow and arrow to get the the wire across. Oh, that is the a funny buildings. thing as well to try and figure right. that out. That that's an interesting part. Like let's. But but when they get that working, the bow and arrow bit right um, in the field in the practice field. Philippe runs towards the arrow to see if it landed the 200 feet, which is the distance. It does that. And then he does a Project Nim monkey roll where he falls forward and does a body roll. And then the other guy does the same. I was like, oh, that's it's almost an homage to... They you know. do run like excited children without a care in yes. the world. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful, right? I mean, they're grown men in their 20s. And you're like, oh, go on, lads. With him, the bullies really didn't win. Do you know what I mean? There is there is no shame <laughs> in that man. They never win. Um, so, yeah, they... I wouldn't run like that. <laughs> That's because I think there's a Nelson Munns around the corner about to yell out what I look like if I did. <laughs> Why is he going to um... be so happy, Matt? <laughs> Um, so just quickly, there's, there's one of, he's got a few helpers, isn't he? Right. One of the dodgy fellas. And there was a good lookalike there. So Alan, AKA Albert looks like my ex colleague and lovely fella, Gavin Berry, who weirdly enough also looks like, uh, Chris Elliott, who worked at the same firm, who's also a lovely fella. Sometimes, Matt, sometimes. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why I'm seen as the mean one on this podcast. There's certain bits I know that I can just stick the knife in now to get out of it. Fucking have to get me reading about the Patreon at 3am in the morning, you fucker. <laughs> Fucking up some of that. I'm trying um, to enjoy my 302 snack. 
Have you never had apple and penguin's blood? It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so in essence, they have a team in both towers and they fire an arrow with some fishing line on it from one tower to the other. And he can't see it. No, you've he missed out a whole the thing. They make a whole thing. So they get up there and they hear a security guard coming. Oh, that's and right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they hide on the top hole and one guy goes, look, I kind of do this. I, I, I'm bouncing. He goes, fine, go, go, go. And then he runs down the stairs and the guy's like, I am so happy to be leaving this right now. <laughs> <I'm> so... <laughs> the Rick Walton of yeah. the crew. He's like, I'm fucking out of here. I'm looking at him oh. going, do you know what? They're going to say he had a shit attitude at the end of this. He did the right fucking thing. <laughs> Um, and then his they hide. Was, he, his name was David, also known as Donald. He was the stoned musician. Yeah, and they—that's find... the guy who legged it. So they're underneath tarpaul and, and the security guard on like what is like the like the eighty sixth or the hundred and tenth one yeah, of the two, yeah. and they're hid under there as the security guard's just walking around. And again, now you're at the mercy of Philippe because you get into an interesting bit. It goes, I can hear the extremity of every cigarette puff that he makes. I hear his light <laughs> flick. I hear the clink as he puts it back into his pocket. And you're like, Jesus, Philip, you're a second away from doing something fucking interesting. And then he talks about how like he pokes a little... I mean, this is over the course of 15 minutes, the story with the security guard. He talks about how he pokes a little hole in to watch him. They sneak around. And then he does this thing, which I do find it, it's embellishing a story that doesn't need embellishing. So I go downstairs to get changed and the security guard, he comes because I hear, I think they hear him snoring is when they eventually move hours yes. later. Yeah. And basically he walks around the beam and so does the security guard. So they keep on going playing hide and seek around the beam. Like he basically just draws out Harpo marks in I, four different Marx Brothers movies of what apparently I, happened. I think he was using what me and you would call artistic license there. Yeah, me too, Matt. Me too. What he was using the Tom and Jerry like, do 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 do. It's like he learned. Yeah, he learned. He learned how to tell a story the same way you're meant to tell an anecdote in Reservoir Dogs. You gotta know what the, kind of fucking soaps in that. <laughs> is is that the commode story? Do you know the commode story? Yeah. Back in the seventies, was a real fucking weed problem. <laughs> you couldn't get it anywhere. I said, buddy, I will shoot you in the face. But so he tells that whole thing and that takes a while. And then they're finally up there. They fire the arrow and he was so nervous. He fired it at Philippe and nearly hit him. They are looking for it for such a long time to find the equipment that's came over. And then for some reason, he gets naked. (laughs) He got naked because he he said, "Well, it was fishing wire, and I'd feel that I'd I'd feel fishing wire on my body if it touched me, because I'd be naked." And that's your honour why I was naked on the roof of the World Trade Center. Yeah, the defence rests. You know, for the longest time, I was going. You know what? That security guard. I mean, fucking top floor of the World Trade Center. What a fucking gig! And I thought, not always would it be a great gig. (laughs) He got fired. He would have got fired, right? Eh? He would have got fired. If it did, it saved his fucking life. How did it save his life? Well, what happened to the top floor of the World Trade Center, Matt? Come on, think local history here. Oh, fuck that. That was 20... He would have been dead from all the asbestos in the building way before then. A job like that, you stay in it. How long do you do a job before you go, I can just fall asleep here? 
You don't and leave those nine jobs. Nine months. <laughs> you do not leave those jobs. They are quicksand jobs. You're in there for life. What, you just go up there and smoke and put your feet up and wait for something to radio down. You're like, can't. I'm 20 floors above the planet. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, so they get up on the roof. He's naked. He finds the rope. Uh, they they hook it all up. It, again, they, they drag that out into drama. But then eventually he he gets out and he's on the rope and he, he walks between the World Trade Centers. And it it's fucking beautiful. Now, there is a thing which is like, it could have been so much more tense, but the way the documentary was kind of done. Um, if you had not had Felipe in it and you were talking, it just because it's not everyone knew that story. Obviously, in people in New York knew someone did it and he might have been a bit of a celebrity in America, but globally, you may not have known that happened. Like, in terms of just. I'd, a, I'd never heard of it. In terms of a narrative. So, it, to give it stakes, you can't have seen him be talking in present day because then you know he doesn't fall. So, it's a kind of like. Right. Yeah, yeah. The what's the movies? Not the the three Lord of the Rings movies, but it's the ones the three that came before it, which is like the Bilbo Baggins, the Hobbit. Right now, now that you've seen three like nineteen hours of them going to Mordor, right, and Frodo survives, and Bilbo's there, and where Bilbo. Don't then show me a three-hour movie where he's in a forty-minute sword fight because there's no stakes. I know he survives. That's like like the Han Solo movie. You know he's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. that. Um, or, or a better example, was it Nurse Ratchet on Netflix? Like, yeah, this is her doing her NVQs to work in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to really fuck someone up later. Um, when when he's walking across the wire, his girlfriend is down on the ground and there's some great pictures. The pictures they've got are stunning. Um, and again, she point, she says to everyone, look, there's a man walking on a wire. And but the way she says it, you're like, oh, God, that sounds like poetry. Carry on talking. What are you saying? I know, but my point of this was wire. because she goes, again, speaking in French, I said to everyone, look, there's a man on the wire, but they couldn't see him. And I'm like, so if you said it in English then, why can't you talk in English now for the documentary? Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't listen and read. Like, that. I can't do both at the same time. If I'm looking at me forward, I'm not listening to who's talking to us. Right. I'm thick as fuck, okay. basically. Right? But <laughs> so you're talking about I, her voice was portrait. It's like, no, it's too you, you can't reading. be that thick. You can't be that thick because I can't even work out what you've just said. I must be thicker than you. What, what because you she you... turns around, right? So she says, and this is in the subtitle, she's speaking in French. Yes. She then says it's she's on French. the streets of New York. Yeah. And she says, I turn to everyone, look, there's a man on a wire. And they said, we can't see a man on a wire. How did they fucking understand French on the streets of New York? Oh, okay. So obviously well, she must It's a multicultural have... city. <laughs> I, I think she could have done it in broken English. There we go. That's what I'm saying. Well, okay. But you can't... Hang on. But the point of that is you can't read. What can't you do about reading? No, no, That's no. If I'm reading something, understand. if I was reading it, I wasn't listening to what you were saying. I had the same problem with the dissident. Oh, okay, all right. Because yeah, yeah, it's a lot yeah, of right. subtitles you're trying to keep yes. up with. Yeah, all right, okay. Wouldn't have had that problem if you were watching it on YouTube because they didn't have any fucking subtitles on YouTube. Um, uh, what really got me is he's out there on the wire and he lays down on a wire. 
I'm a 50 year old man. I've got a king size bed. I was laying on it last night. No word of a lie. I fell out. (laughs) (laughs) How did he lay on a wire? Well, that's just, that is one of his party tricks you see him doing on the other ones as well, but you don't think he's going to do it on this one because also the wire is the worst one they'd ever made because it was drooped, it was slack. They yes, couldn't yeah, fasten yeah. it as well as what they'd hoped to. And the guy who sheds a lot of tears in the end, he's like, there was a moment when you saw him smile and you go, oh, thank God, he's going to be okay. He's got it. But they Yeah, he, he cried a few times. That was, it, um, that was his childhood friend, uh, Jean-Louis. But there's a point where he goes, people say they don't believe me, but I could see the crowd. I could hear them, meh, meh. <laughs> I heard the meh, meh of the crowd. I just thought the way he said murmur was fucking hilarious. How can you make murmur sound poetic? <laughs> the meh, meh of the crowd. Um, and then basically, he's out on that wire for, uh, he's out on that wire for 45 minutes. What did he do? He does eight twos and throws and then he keeps winding up the old bill doesn't he yeah because the police so he are walks there again. back to yeah and so he, he walks back to the cops and, and goes ah <laughs> the best person in this I, I adored philly i loved listening to his girlfriend i loved all his friends but for me the person who made the documentary was sergeant charles daniels great little bit wasn't it port authority policeman uh we observed the tightrope dancer because you couldn't call him a walker. And what popped into my head there was when we were at the London Stadium and you went, look at St. Maxim, he's a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was meant to try and keep my mouth shut in the whole end, but then... then oh, yeah, got, nearly got stabbed. But, the, young, uh... <laughs> the young lad of the bandana was fucking awesome. And every time we go, he's a dancer, Matt. He's a dancer, look at him, look at him. They can't do that with him. Can't get near him. <laughs> and Sergeant Charles Daniels, the cop, said... Uh, Someone spoke to him in French because he was French. Yeah, thanks. Cheers, policeman. He was they, gorgeous. They were, going to try and, they were going to try and snatch him up with a helicopter. That How was going to be the plan. Work? That reminded me of... Um, this will be the last tangent. Did you ever... Did you know the Raoul Maud story? Yes. Like, the way that ended... Because there is a whole hilarious, and if there is ever a documentary on it, we're doing that the day that it's fucking released right. without a shadow of a doubt. It is Geordie Theatre. But um, give us the thirty second for the people who don't know the Raoul. Okay, so Raoul Moore released from jail, went and shot, uh, I believe, a police officer and his missus's new boyfriend. He told them he was going to do that on the way out of jail. He um, he was then on the lam. He was hidden. He got chased down to an area um, above Newcastle, I think around Annick, where a bit woodsy. Uh, Paul Gascoigne, England footballer, apparently recognised him as a bouncer, jumped in a taxi in a dressing gown with eight cans and some chicken to go and help help with the police standoff with this now fucking serial killer. Um, so Gaza shows up and basically they're there. Raoul Maud's got a gun to his head threatening to shoot himself. And this is how they uh, diffuse the situation. So that he doesn't shoot himself, they taser him. <laughs> and obviously shoots himself through electricity. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Is that how it happened? Yeah, they tasered him. Well, yeah, they goes, if you come any closer, I'll blow me brains out. And then uh, they went, okay, okay. <laughs> Light him up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Release the hounds. 
But let me tell oh, you. shit. The, I didn't know that's how he died. The area that happened himself. in is about the the windiest part of the northeast, and it's a very windy area. So I imagine they were out there for three hours and went, ah, oh, fuck it, if it doesn't work, it pushes us to... <laughs> you know what I mean? I really want Gaz's autograph before he sobers up. <laughs> what do you mean there's no tea left? So right, the idea the is that this guy on a slack wire above the World Trade Center, you've got to get a helicopter close <laughs> enough to him with the propellers and the wind that would generate to try and capture them. It's insane. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, they cover that really well in the Gordon Joseph Lovett film, The Walk, when they try and, and they, he's like, if you do this, you're going to kill me. Leave the, because they're like, all right, well, we'll unhook the rope. We'll get you in that way. And he went, it doesn't work. <laughs> he, um, he then gets arrested, right? So he does come back in. He gets arrested and then it cuts to him doing tricks with a policeman's hat in the, uh, in the cell. Yeah, How be- cocky is this kid? Because all the newspapers and stuff loved him so much. Um, they went, look, if you do a few tricks for the cameras in this little show, we'll we'll chart you, we'll pump it down to this charge. It just well the, well, the charge that he was charged with, right, was trespassing and disorderly conduct, and he took a deal from the DA to do some juggling for some kids. That was his punishment. Whereas his French friends all got deported. He just had to do five minutes. That's effectively, if you ever get arrested and they go, okay, you're looking at six months, but can you do your, your reactive dog bit to this lot Wait. and then we'll let you off? I just think I like it's like a tired cop, divorced dad. He's trying to get back in with the mother. He's fucked up. He's never there because of the shifts. And they ring up and go, it's Billy's birthday today. Have you booked a clown? <laughs> He's like, oh, Jesus, give me two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> The Frenchman who keeps giving. Sipowitz, have you got the weird guy on the wire? <laughs> yeah, you booked him. No, send him in. Send, do stop the paperwork. <laughs> uh, it's coming down from the beer. <laughs> um, the second they release him from prison, a woman comes up this to is... him outside the police station, which... Now, now, at this point, he is not in prison. He's doing interviews for TV and doing this kind of stuff. I don't think he goes to... Because he would have been had caught and sentenced and later. Oh, I thought death. this was... I thought no, this, this was when they released him initially from getting arrested. Oh, yeah. So not from out of prison. So this would be him yes, bailed no, no. from that so, yeah, this to is, go with. So, yeah, this is him getting... A, so he gets arrested on the day. He gets released from the cop station. And as he comes out, a woman comes up to him and offers him sex. Now, I've done 500-odd stand-up gigs, I reckon. I reckon two of those have gone... Like, I think I've smashed two of them, right? Which I believe is a really poor hit rate. You've fallen out of more Not- beds this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I've never been offered sex, ever. So what do I have to do to be offered sex? I'm not saying I'm going to take the sex up. But- so for £15 on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he this gets is... offered sex. Bear in mind, he's got a girlfriend. The girlfriend goes, who's stuck with him for years and just just yeah. five minutes ago helped him achieve his lifelong dream. She puts her arm on his yes. neck and says, I want to spend time with you. And then he just goes, he pretends that he's still in the police station. So that's how close it is. It's out from he outside. He lies to all his mates and, and his go- missus. Yeah. And goes just and goes, sleeps with this woman. Yeah. I feel that, that scene where they reenacted him having sex with that woman. That to me was a that was a doff of the cap to Stanley Kubrick from Clockwork Orange, when uh, 
Malcolm McDowell from Gangster Number One looked a lot like that. Yeah. Had sex with the two women. Yeah, yeah. So um, I just thought that was amazing. And him and uh, Annie Alex, him and uh, Philippe and Annie Alex, yeah, they uh, they split up. It's quite sad. Um, and his mate Jean Louis just says he did it. It was amazing, and he starts crying. And it's really emotional. It's beautiful. It's a gorgeous documentary. Absolutely lovely. It's a brilliant documentary. It is brilliant. Really good. For what it covers, because it doesn't cover much, right? You think about it. It's just lovely. But you do see... So well made. John Philippe, as even as a teenager, when he goes, I want to walk across those two buildings on a wire. No one tried to stop him. <laughs> yeah. And how did he fund this? That's what kept popping into my head. Well, I think he just had the one wire. No, but he kept Obviously, flying back he, and yeah, forward. You're yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Where, where'd he get the money from, Rick? Patreon. That's how he did it. <laughs> the minute we get 500 Patreons, we'll stop talking about you know, it. From, I promise you. <laughs> from this window in in this little podcast room, I've um, kind of built... Uh, sorry, I'm looking out into the room now. It's not a podcast room. It's the clothes that I still haven't unpacked, plus my laptop <laughs> in a room that my girlfriend doesn't come in. But there is a house with the roof exactly in line. I carried those clothes up there. <laughs> there's, there's a house with uh, the, the roof and a go of uh, 50 pounds a month. I will attempt to get to that other roof. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to work in Ladbrokes anymore. Um, this is how Jackass was born. It was just sheer desperation to not go back to a back-breaking nine-to-five job. Um, right, Rick, give us give us your score, uh, mate. I, I'm giving us as solid a four as you can get on this one. Yeah, I'm going 4.5 on this one just because of the accents. Love an accent. Uh, that's nine and a half for Mal and Wire. It won Oscars, it won BAFTAs, and it's just got a very high score from me and Rick on discussing documentaries. It's one of those um, ones. If you're in conversations about documentaries a lot, you're going to be asked if you watch this one. It's always going to pop up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you very much for listening. There is a load more content coming every single week. Uh Thanks very much. Say goodbye, Rick. Thank you very much for listening. Take it easy, guys.